Let's take a look at those last two songs or hymns that we just sang. As I've been wont to do in the past. And look at the verses. Old Rugged Cross, John chapter 19, uh, verses, verse 17 is the inspirational verse for the writing of the hymn, carrying his own cross, he went out to a place, to the place of the skull. But connected to that, and I find this quite interesting and appropriate, by the way, is then we sing majesty, and the guiding verse is Second Peter chapter 1, and it says, He, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father. They're connected. Second Peter Chapter 1 talks about receiving honor and glory. And the reason for the honor and the glory is found in hymn number 141. Or in John chapter 19 verse 17. Carrying his own cross, Jesus, Jesus went out to the place of the skull. And then you know what happens after that. Place of the skull, that's Golgotha, that's Calvary. Uh, whatever term we want to use uh for that place. But that's what it's about. Majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father. And we got Jack Hayford, wonderful guy that he is. Majesty. Worship his majesty. And and that wonderful chorus that Shirley so appropriately asked you to sing twice. <coughs> Exalt. Lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify. Come glorify. Christ Jesus the King. And why do we do that? Let's go back to hymn number 141. It's all connected. It's all connected. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you uh, for that which you are about to show us now, that which you have shown us in the past. We ask now that you just put it all together for us, that we might be strengthened in your word, in your deed, and your strength as we go forward uh, to share our love for you with the world. And we thank you now, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't help but think that the Holy Spirit really knows what he's doing with Shirley. Shirley puts the hymns together. Shirley basically has my sermon title and that's about it and she puts together the music and yet look what we see today in the hymns that she chose to put together this idea uh, that I just mentioned to you as we sang because of the supporting verses that the hymns represent and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning as we come uh to communion. Today is Communion Sunday, Lord's Supper Sunday, Memorial Sunday, whatever Sunday we want to call it, it's the end of the month, and we do the Lord's Table today. And we're going to do that, uh, but the message today is surrounded in the Lord's Table, and we want to look at some connections today. We're going to look at some connections to this table that we celebrate. And the connection goes all the way back to Exodus. 
history lesson today. It goes all the way back to Passover. It goes all the way back to the Seder and and the Seder that's celebrated in Jewish communities even today. For what purpose? And the purpose, of course, is Passover. And we're going to look at the elements of Passover in a way this morning that I hope will refresh us so that every time that we come here and be we do it in green or we do it in reversible, isn't that clever? Uh, or purple, doesn't make any difference. We do it whenever we do it. These elements have so much meaning, so very much meaning that we should never be closed into, oh yeah, we got extra five minutes of message today. You know, it's not that at all. It all comes to this, almost like the this hymn majesty being connected to the old rugged cross. They're connected, aren't they? They are connected. And that's what this is. This is a connection that shows us that we're talking about a God that says, in the beginning, I, God, created the heavens and the earth. And everything that happened thereafter is because of me. You know, I'm pointing to myself. Shame on me. But but you got the idea. You know what I'm trying to say here, that we're talking about God. There's a wonderful passage that, that our Bible uh, teacher in our uh, Bible study shared as we began the messages uh, in Genesis. And he said this, he said, what was the, what's the worst thing, what's the most terrible thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden? And you think about that for a minute, and, da, 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 da. and he said, the very presence of God. Think about that for a moment. I mean, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve running around in their birthday suits, uh, you know, are ashamed and all of that business. And, and now they're going to have to work for a living and da, da, it goes on and on and on. What's what, what was lost? Face to face, daily communication with, fellowship with God. The very presence of God was lost with the first bite of whatever that fruit was. It wasn't an apple. So don't be afraid. People don't eat apples because they think that's the original. Please. No, no, no. Apples are good for you. Apple a day, doctors away, and the rest of that business. You got that, right? It all connects. And we're going to look at that today as we look once again. It's a material that's very familiar. Uh, uh, you've been down this road before in, in several ways. The Old Testament origin <coughs> and the celebration of the Passover uh, <coughs> it lays the foundation for what we're going to do. Because as we remember, if we remember John uh, chapters uh, 14 and on, 14 is the upper room, uh, what was what were Jesus and the disciples doing when Jesus raised the cup and said, this is my, this is, the New Testament in my blood. They had just completed, uh, I'll think of it in a minute, Passover. They'd actually completed the Passover ritual or the Passover meal, I'll put it that way, uh, because that's really more meaningful. Uh, and then Jesus added that towards the end. And we're going to see that as I go through this with you uh, this morning. So it's connected. 
Now, how is it connected? How is, how is Passover connected to the Lord's Supper? How is it connected? Like those two hymns that we just sang, how are those verses connected? Well, if we go back to Exodus, and we remember the story, uh, <clears throat> in Gen- oh, we have to go all the way back to Genesis, because there's a famine in the land, book of Genesis, and nobody's got anything to eat in, in Israel. And so Abraham and the, and the, uh, <clears throat> and the patriarchs decided, well, we'll go to Egypt because they're doing okay. And so they go to Egypt. And then Joseph is there and Joseph is the, is the, uh, prime minister, if I can put it that way, the prime minister of Egypt and he gets reconciled with his brothers and, and I'm really going through the background stuff just to get us there. Uh, and he feeds them and they had, it was so wonderful and they were so pleased. And because Pharaoh and Joseph were, you know, like this, anything that Joseph wants, Joseph gets according to Pharaoh. And so all of Joseph's family are like lost cousins to the Pharaoh and they are guests of the state. And for a very long time, they just they can't do anything wrong everything is super duper and hey and why should we ever want to leave egypt and go back to uh tent city i'll put it that way why well of course the reason for that is and we go back just a few chapters in genesis and we find because this is the land that god has given you that's why you go back to your home as it is. That's why, and you don't. And so they fall into sin. Eventually, the Pharaoh dies, and probably a couple of Pharaohs die, and all of a sudden, nobody remembers why all of these people are here. And so they, and they're numerous. They talk about repopulating the earth. They really went for that verse. And they're populating like you wouldn't believe. And there's more Israelites in Egypt than there are Egyptians. I'm kind of embellishing a little bit, probably. But there, but that's the idea. And we can't have that, says the new Pharaoh. And so they enslave the, the, the Israelites. And so for 500 years, they are enslaved. And you know what slavery is about. I'm not, we're not going to embellish that any further than it needs to be. And so they've been enslaved and they're moaning and groaning about their problem. And rightly so, they're not having a good time. And so they pray. Finally, they pray. Sound familiar to you? You kind of, things are going along pretty good and to this and this and this and the other thing. And, and all of a sudden things aren't going so good and they aren't, and they're getting worse and they're getting worse and they're getting worse and they're getting worse. And finally, God, have you forsaken me? That's David's line, right? Please don't forsake me, but where are you? What have you done for me lately? You know, that kind of thing. Have you ever been there? I'm sure you have. But there it is. Same thing with Israel, so don't be too hard on them. And they pray. And God gives them who? Gives them Moses. Well, who's Moses? Well, we think Moses is the grand guy. Moses was uh, was raised in the court, murdered somebody, according to Scripture, 
at least according to Pharaoh, according to Egyptian law, and escaped. He's an escaped fugitive to justice, and he's going to come back and save Israel because he's God's man. And that's important too, isn't it? I want to be God's man. You want to be God's man, God's person, God's woman. You know, forget about the genders. I want to be involved with God. I want God to consider me one of his chosen ones. As Moses was chosen. As Abraham was chosen. As David was chosen. As you have been chosen. That's what I want. And so Moses is raised up. Moses comes and Moses does what he does. And Pharaoh, uh, am I really going through the book of Exodus in a hurry? Uh, and Moses tells Pharaoh, you got to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, you got to be kidding me. Hey, all of the, all of the work in Israel is not, or in Egypt is now done by slave labor or very much of it. And you want me to let my entire workforce go? What will that do to my economy? No way in the world am I going to do that. And I'll have to admit I'm adding some verses in there. Uh, that's my paraphrase of what Pharaoh said. No. And so Moses said, well, then, then God's not going to be pleased with you. And, and we're going to have to do what we have to do. And then we have the ten plagues. And you know what the ten plagues are about. They have the flies and they have the uh, water into blood. They've got the frogs. They got the uh, locust. We got the all. We got the wind and the hail and the fire. All kinds of stuff. And every time there's a plague, and then Moses comes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, "Please, oh please, oh what a terrible thing! Fix it." And so Moses goes to God, and God lifts the plague. And still, we're in slavery. So then what? Finally, we come down to the last, and Moses says, this is it. I only can count to ten. I don't know what eleven is, but number ten is this. And Pharaoh says, no. No, I won't let the people go. No. And so, Moses goes home, and he says, God has, has spoken, and this is what we need to do. Because the death angel is going to come. There's going to be a death angel. And the firstborn of everybody's family. Very firstborn of everybody's family is going to die. And that includes animals too. So the prize bull of the herd. Guess what's going to happen to it? So now we're talking economy here. I mean, I have enough kids. I don't mind losing one. I'm being flippant. But there you go. And I, I don't, I personally think that Pharaoh didn't, <laughs> that's, you gotta be joking, that can't happen. And Moses tells the people of Israel, this is what we need to do. We need to put blood of the perfect lamb, the perfect lamb, and that's important for us to, to focus in on, and we're going to do that. We take the blood of the perfect lamb on the doorpost and the lintels, or that's the side, uh, of of your house and when you're doing what I've asked you to do then when the death angel comes and exacts the price for the wrath of God he'll pass over you he'll leave you alone he won't take your firstborn 
He won't take the firstborn of your flock. He won't take, he won't take because you have trusted your life in him by the shed blood of the lamb. Ooh, does that sound New Testament or what? And I'm talking Old Testament, am I not? But you see the connection. You can't help but see the connection if you know a little bit about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what happens. Everyone that spread the blood as directed, everyone that did as they were instructed to do, death angel came, the death angel did his thing, and the people were spared. And the very next morning, Pharaoh or Moses came to Pharaoh, or Pharaoh came to Moses, or left a message and said, get out of town. You can go. So because of the death angel, because of that tenth plague, that tenth plague was the straw that broke the camel's back, and the people released from the slavery, and that's exactly what they had prayed for to begin with. Hmm. Beginning to see the connection? Let's talk about the Lamb. Scripture tells us, and I know I'm not giving you the Scripture references, but you can you can read it. There's an entire passage in Exodus that goes into this and tells you what the Lamb is. The Lamb is a perfect Lamb. Now, how is it a perfect Lamb? You go among your flock, and you find the one that you think is the most perfect, and you bring that Lamb into your house, and for the next three or four days... You're going to inspect that lamb beginning right down at the cloven hoof up the legs and you're going to check everywhere, check its teeth, everything. You're going to check its teeth, everything to make sure that there's no spot, no blemish. This is a perfect lamb. And then because the lamb wins the prize as the perfect lamb, uh, guess what? That's the one that's going to be slaughtered, and that's the blood that we're going to place on our doorpost. And then the lamb that was slaughtered, we're going to eat that lamb as well. <laughs> that doesn't sound so good, does it? But but there you go. And so there's a there's a meal that's that's eaten, and it's eaten in a certain way. And you can read about how it was eaten at first in that way, and it carries over even to 2019. Because if you do Passover the way a good Hasidic Jew that still does the traditional things, black clothes and the beard and all of that business, that believes in all of those laws, it still does all of those laws, that's the way they celebrate Passover. Now I'll jump ahead with you on the calendar and suggest to you that if you have the opportunity, especially if you've never done it, if you have the opportunity to visit uh, a Messianic Jewish community, they will have a Seder. Exactly the way the Seder is celebrated and the, the pastor rabbi, I'll put the two together because he's a complete, what we call a completed Jew, uh, he will explain for you all of the elements and show you how they connect to the Lord Jesus Christ and even to the very table that we're about to celebrate ourselves. It's something you have to do. It's one of those, put it in your bucket list, you got to do it. And besides that, it's a great meal because they feed you lamb. Well, surely doesn't chicken because, you know, they provide that for you 
lamb haters. Shame on you. But it, but you got the idea. Do it. And when I hear of one coming up in the new, in the season, I'll probably start hearing probably in February or so when they are uh, and where they are. I'll I'll let you know. And usually, I mean, you, you pay something because you pay for the meal, that kind of thing. But it's a wonderful, wonderful evening. It's a couple of dinners, not an hour. It's about two hours because they because they go through that whole business and they have and they have traditional dances. And at least the last one I was at, it was a great time. It was a great time. But it's so very, very meaningful. And I think the last time I celebrated with the Manleys, didn't we go together? Uh, to the church in Indi- the, the Baptist Church in Indio, I think uh, Central Baptist. No, it was at, at Mountain View, across the freeway. Oh, okay, all right. Wherever it was, we were there to, anyway. I remember them. I don't remember the church. See how important they are to me. There we are. That's that's good. But the idea being is everything that we see here translate all the way back to what I've just done. I'm right on time. I'm just, I'm doing so good. And I haven't even turned the page. I've done this from memory. Whoa. So now I'll turn the page, okay? Just to show you that I have to turn the page for something. Okay, so there it is. It's Passover is connected to the Lord's Supper. Now, if we jump ahead, and it's time for us to do that, we jump ahead to that last day, that day before what? The day before Jesus was arrested, or the evening before the night that Jesus was arrested, and then the day before he was crucified, they celebrated the Passover. And the purpose of the Passover is to do what? To celebrate the fact that God, in his infinite mercy, was willing to provide you an avenue of escape from uh, the death angel. That's the one. And that escape is still available in the same way. Now, we don't put blood on the dope pours and that kind of business. But it's still blood, and it's still lamb, and it's still, there's a T word, I'll think of it. Trust. It's still trust. Those people way back in Egypt, thousands of years ago, a couple of thousand years ago, had you want me to do what in order to do what? Give me a break. And isn't that what we hear today? Isn't that what we hear today when we visit with someone and we share with them the truth and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and we suggest to them that turning their lives over to them is going to be a revolutionary change that's going to, that's going to usher them into Eternity with God? You've got to be joking me. I had someone uh, come to me and say, do you actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead bodily? Rose from the dead. And I looked at that person and I said, yes. And that person looked at me like she didn't say it. Oh, I gave gender. Uh, that person didn't say it, but the look on their face said, you idiot. How can you possibly believe that whatever so if I was trying to make points with that person I lost got a zero for that day but 
I got a plus that day because I maintained the truth of the word. I maintained the truth of the word for that person. And that's what we need to do. We're called to be witnesses. A little sidetrack here. Campus Crusade, how many years ago was that, uh, taught us a saying. And it's a wonderful saying. And it's a saying that doesn't work just for Campus Crusade. Think about it. Successful witnessing. See, when we think in terms of successful witnessing, that's when somebody listens and says, oh, yeah, give me that. You know, it's like when you're selling something. And you say, well, these are the best encyclopedias there are. Give me two sets then. They're good. You know, I was successful today. Successful witnessing is this. Simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Now let me show you what that means. That means that I was willing... So that means I stood at your door, uh, on your porch, and knocked on the door. All done. Hey, if you answer the door, good deal. I'll continue going. If you don't answer the door, I've done what I can do. And according to the definition that we just gave, successful witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I've done that, and leaving the results to God. Well, God didn't want them to be home to see me today, or God was not ready for them to do anything but slam the door in my face, or whatever it might have been. But I was successful. I have done what God has asked me to do. That's trust, isn't it? That's the promise. That's living the promise. So we go back we back to the, the, to the to the seder. The seder is completed, and we come down, and there's four cups in the seder, and the third cup is the cup of redemption. And I can never remember what the first one is, and so uh, that's why I'm looking at my notes. I'm not going to take time because I can't find it. But it doesn't make any difference. There's four cups. And the third cup is the cup of redemption. And that is the cup that Jesus picks up in the, in the celebration of the, of the end of the Passover. He picks up that third cup that everybody's going to say a prayer over and they're going to sing over and they're going to partake of. And he says, this is the New Testament in my blood. So I'm holding this. This is a covenant promise right here. There's a little piece of plastic with Welch's. You got the brand name Welch's. Okay. About seven calories here. Okay. Get ready. Seven calories coming your way. This is the promise. This is the promise. And that is just like the blood that spread upon the doorpost. Same amount of faith. you got to be kidding me. All i got to do is sip that. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the purpose of it. You don't get saved by drinking this. <laughs> That's what I should do. I'll just sell cups of this. You want to get saved? Here, take a build of this. Boom, you're done. That's crazy. Just as the Israelites spread the blood, 
So I take the blood, the blood that Jesus is, this is my blood, that is, and I want you to partake of it. And people get kind of icky sometimes when they think in terms of cannibalism, and that's silly. And this is my body, same thing. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why does Jesus say that? Why does the scripture say do this in remembrance of me? Why do we have these physical things that we can adulter by getting crazy about it and make big deals about it when it's a physical symbol that helps our physical persons to remember and to understand. I don't even know the brand name of the matzah today. Oh, there's going to be new matzah next month, by the way. These are, I've had these in the basket for a little while. But there we are. We have these, and we're going to share them in just a moment with you. I've handled this one, so I guess this is the one I have to eat. And I'll put it down over here. All of that is to skip this. Now, what, what I put this on the communion table for is this is what I call the cup of wrath. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me. Okay? And I think in terms of the cup of wrath, because if he did let this cup pass from me, if he did not go to the cross, guess who'd have the cup? I would. And what is the wrath? Well, let's see. Let's go back to Exodus and let's see. Uh, if you don't put the blood on the doorpost, then guess what? If you don't accept me as your personal Savior, I mean, kind of a hard way to put this, but there it is. If you don't accept me as your personal Savior, guess what? Do this in remembrance of me. And if you do this in remembrance of me, then the wrath, chalice, cup, is empty. He's poured out his wrath. Where did he pour his wrath? Had to be, had to go somewhere. Where did it go? It went on the, it sprinkled all over the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because scripture tells us that all of sin, all of your sin, my sin, sins I might commit tomorrow. Gee, I hope I don't. But there, there you go. All of those sins are put on the Lord Jesus Christ and he's taking the wrath of God for me. Now, what's the wrath of God look like? Sit down sometime and carefully do a word study as you go through the Friday, uh, Friday, the, the crucifixion. I don't believe it's Friday, so that's why I stumbled. Uh, and we'll do that another day. But think about that. Think about the crucifixion. Think about what that means. Look it up in the dictionary if you don't understand. Think about what it means to hang up there and, and have to gasp for breath and all of the, all of the other business that goes on. Think about the beating that he took. Think about the crown of thorns. You know, we don't, crown of thorns, you know, just carefully. I can put anything on you. I can put four books on your head if I put them on carefully and eventually you'll have a headache. That's true. But if I take the, the, those books and I put them on your head, I guarantee instant headache, right? If he doesn't do it right, 
and he doesn't get the Novocaine in just right. This is a dentist we have in the room. Uh, guess what? Ooh, it's going to hurt. Boy, is it going to hurt. And tomorrow and the next day. And if he's really not that good, the day after that as well. It's going to hurt forever. If I have to drink from this cup, it's going to last forever. But the exciting thing is, is if I do drink from this cup, if I, if I, I'm able to pass over this cup, I don't have to drink from it at all. And forever I'm going to do what? I'm going to bask in the glory of the presence of God. And who's He? In the beginning, God created. Chapter 2, he breathed the breath of life into Adam, my grandfather, your grandfather. Well, I'll put a bunch of grands in front of it to get back there, but you got the idea. And there it is. That's what it's about. Passover and the Lord's table is the same celebration for the same reason. For the same reason. When we say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it's exactly the same. Elements might be a little different. Times have changed. I mean, we don't wear, we don't wear bathrobes around all day anymore. Well, some of us might, except on Sunday morning when we come out here, but you got the idea. So I'm going to ask this gentleman and that gentleman to come up and we're going to serve. <coughs> Because it's time now for us to partake. It's time for you to have the opportunity of accepting the elements. Because the scripture tells us that we are to remember him and as oft as we do it. And there's nothing in scripture that tells us how oft is. How oft is? That's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, we can do it every day and some churches do. You could do it, we could do it every Sunday. We could do it once a month. We could do it, well, anytime we feel like it. Whatever. Doesn't say. And it doesn't say how we have to do it. Doesn't say how. Oh, there he is. Uh, it doesn't say how we have to be dressed. And I'll talk about that another time. Uh, because I used to be in charge. Uh, when I was a deacon at a church, uh, I was in charge of the, the services. And communion was one of those. And I had a regular ritual thing. Uh, we were in a military town, so they actually marched in step and the whole thing. It was, oh, it was grand. It was, oh, they could have crossed rifles and done everything. But there it is. It doesn't say any of that. But it says, I want you to celebrate this. I want you to take of the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. My body was broken for you. My spirit was even broken for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting who? Jesus. This is my blood. And blood is talking, that's the life-giving fluid that flows in our bodies. This is my blood, which was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not just that I did it. Not just that I went to the cross and that I, that I died and all that. But no, no, no. Why did I do it? I did it so that you could believe 
that I love you so much that I'm willing to take the most valuable thing that you have and preserve it for all of eternity. What's that? Your very life. Your very life. You're going to live forever. You're going to live forever. Do this in remembrance of me. So we'll get the elements passed. And after that, we'll all partake together. But the scripture also tells us that if we don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ, we shouldn't partake. Because how can we partake what we don't remember, what we don't know? When I talk about know, I talk about know and believe. Do you believe? Are you either like the Israelite that said, you got to be kidding with this lamb's blood? I'm not even sure that there's a death angel, somebody might have said. They found out the following day, didn't they? Anyway, so here we have the broken body. Here we have the wonderful, flowing, life-giving blood of the New Testament of God in forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. Now, before we pray, look at it. Here it is. Jim Arnold, our wonderful vice president that is here so very seldom because they have two households. Well, mainly one household in San Diego and their weekend spot up here occasionally. He heard me moan one day that I don't have a tie for Communion Sunday, he found this. This is a pretty good rendition of the Da Vinci painting. If you get up close, I mean, you can see that it is. And so, I'm dressed for the occasion. Aren't you proud? I had Shirley take a, if you were here before church, Shirley took a picture so I can send it to Jim's. Yeah, I wore your tie. This is a tie I wear until someone else finds me another communion tie. Uh, then I can switch off once in a while. So if you if you walk in and see me in this tie, you say, oh, it must be communion Sunday. How do you know it is communion Sunday? Well, because of the table that's set up in front for the tie. It gets serious. We have just done what Jesus would have us to do. We have just done this, and we've done it for the right purpose. We've done it in remembrance of Him. And you know what? We've actually done it in such a way, and as we shared this morning, we have connected all of the dots that are found in Scripture. Just as I connected the two hymns that Shirley chose for us to sing today. All glory and honor and praise is given to him because he did what? He made this possible for us.
Let's pray. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you today. And that praise should take us from here. And we ask that you strengthen our spirits in order that it will take us from here, in order that we too can be successful witnesses as we talked about today. Take us from here ready to do your holy will. And for this we give thanks and we give praise in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. God bless you today as you have partaken. Okay, one eight four. One eighty four verses one, three, and four. Jesus is all the world to me.